The resurrection of Jesus has massive implications concerning our past, our present, and our future. Because for the child of God, Jesus' resurrection is our resurrection. That means there is healing for the past, there is comfort for today, and there is hope for tomorrow. This content comes from Mercy Village Church in Barbersville, West Virginia, and you can learn more at www.mercyvillage.church. When we live in a world where the resurrection of Jesus is so commonplace as Christians, it's hard to imagine, in fact, it's impossible to imagine Christianity without the resurrection of Jesus. But on that very first Easter Sunday, it was impossible. Physically impossible, spiritually seemingly impossible. It had been promised, yes, but it seemed impossible to those who were there for the true Child of God, that's hard for us to imagine after years and years and years of Christianity. But I think this can cost us some of the valuable lessons of Easter Sunday. If we can't, if we fail to get in touch with that Saturday, the pain, the sadness, the sorrow, the impossibility of that Saturday, we rejoice on Good Friday in the the sacrificial atonement of Jesus. And we celebrate on Easter Sunday the victory of the resurrection. But we oftentimes pass over the fear and doubt and confusion and grief of Saturday. Today what I want us to see is that the resurrection of Jesus means that Jesus is present with you now, today, even in your deepest pain. So two weeks ago, if you've been with us, we talked about the reality of resurrection. We met two uh, folks on the way to Emmaus. They didn't know Jesus was alive. Jesus comes and walks with them. He goes through the Old Testament and shows them how it was all about Jesus. And then at the end of their journey together, he reveals himself uh, alive. And we looked at the reality of resurrection. Last week, we looked about the resurrection of Jesus for our past. There is therefore now no condemnation. For those who are in Christ, no matter how jaded, no matter how broken, no matter how brutal your past is, the resurrection of Jesus is more powerful than your past. But today, we're going to look at the resurrection for today, for right now in your life. And for us to fully engage that, we have to join Mary Magdalene in the most brutal, probably, time of her life, that Saturday and that early Sunday morning before the reality of resurrection was revealed to her. And what Mary saw is the same thing that that we'll see today, that the resurrection of Jesus means that Jesus is present with you now, even in your, your deepest pain. We're in John chapter 20, verses 11 through 18, all of it will be up on the screen, but if you have a Bible with you. That's where we'll, we'll be. Father, today what we know not, please teach us. What we are not, please make us. And what we have not, please give us by your good grace. In particular, give those who are in a season of grief and pain and hurting right now, give them comfort as only the resurrected Jesus can. It's in his name we pray. Amen. 
The timeline for Easter Sunday morning is admittedly a little bit squishy. If you haven't read all the resurrection accounts back to back to back, then you may not have noticed that. But, but what happens with the gospel authors is, is interesting in the sense that they recount the events that happened, but they're not always recounting them in chronological order per se, precisely, which is tough for first world Americans like us who have our days planned down to the minute. Um, and so, but it, you, we get this, right? Like if you talk to somebody about what they did on, on Tuesday, they may give you the chronological account. They may say, I woke up, I brushed my teeth, we had pancakes for breakfast, we sat around reading for a while while they're doing this on Tuesday. I don't know, they must be unemployed, but worked in the yard. And then we had tacos for lunch, right? A chronological order building to the crown jewel of, of really life itself, eating tacos. But others might say, right, like, what did you do on Tuesday? They may lead with the tacos because that's the most memorable part of the day for them. We ate tacos and uh, we did some reading and we worked in the yard and ate pancakes for breakfast. And neither one of them's lying. They're both telling the truth. One of them is telling you the truth in a very precise chronological order, and the other is, is not. Now, that may be obvious to, to some of you who have studied the Bible uh, for a while, but I just want to make that clear because there is some, some, t- some things you could get hung up on where you're like, well, that doesn't look like it happened in that order. Here's what I think the timeline is, though. And again, my, my opinion matters very little. Uh, but it does matter some. So what I think happens is that the ladies, they get up, and there's a, there's a whole mess of them, uh, these wonderful women who we'll meet in just a second, who have mobilized and ministered alongside Jesus through his entire, his entire ministry. They go to the tomb. They have an angel announcement that they see firsthand, and then they run, and they tell the disciples what has happened. And then if you remember, Peter and John, they race to the tomb. And John, which is where we'll be today, he tells us who won the race because it was him, and so he wants us to know that he was the quickest. He also tells us that he looked into the tomb and he believed. So I don't know what John's personality is like, but he doesn't want us to miss how cool John is because John's not only fast, but he's also fast to believe that Jesus is alive. What happens next, I think, is that he probably hasn't expressed this yet with authority that he believes Jesus is alive, and now... The ladies return to the tomb. They're trying to find Jesus' body because in their minds, he's still dead. That's where we find Mary today, outside the tomb. And she's broken. In fact, we find her weeping. Verse 11, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. Now, there's two ways we respond to, can respond to Mary, and I'm oversimplifying. But there are those of us, and, and I say this only because I've heard preachers preach like this. I myself have talked like this about Mary, uh, this, uh, Mary Magdalene here. Hey, Mary, he's alive. Don't you know? Like, get with it. Snap out of it. Why are you crying? He's, he's alive. But, but those of us who have felt the sting of death, in our lives, who have felt the sting of loss or estrangement, we can't be so cavalier about Mary because we feel what she felt. We get what she got. There she is, 
outside the tomb, broken. Mary Magdalene, we don't have the details of her backstory, but we know that it was a doozy. Because when Jesus met Mary Magdalene, this woman was possessed by seven demons, and I don't know what that means. I don't know what that looked like, because all we get is these words from Luke in his gospel, chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. Soon afterward, he went through the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing good news of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, which I'm only guessing that that's how you say that, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. By the way, don't, don't miss this in a very uh, patriarchal, uh, to a fault society where women would not have even been allowed to bear witness in a court case. Uh, God has, uh, God the Son, Jesus, has a group of women who are with him. They've been healed, they've been rescued by Jesus, and they are actually mobilizing, helping to mobilize the mission of God through Jesus. And Mary Magdalene was among them, and, and her story was pretty brutal. But hear me, when someone gets down in the dirt with you, and wrestles alongside you with your demons and your struggles, they become very dear to you. And what Jesus had done, right, instead of being repulsed by Mary, Jesus did what he always did. He moved through the, towards the hurting and the broken. And he brought tender compassion and healing to her. And so Mary may not have known Jesus yet at, in the fullest theological implications. She may not have known him as capital S, Savior of the world. But she knew him lowercase s, Savior of the world of her life. And we say this about people in our lives perhaps who came along at the right time when we were broken or hurting or in a place of doubt and we say you saved my life. At the right time you were there with me, you wrestled my demons alongside me, you got down in the dirt with me. That's who Jesus was to her. He was her earthly savior. Not only that he was her friend, and only that he was her hope. Her hope was for an earthly kingdom, one that she would likely have a seat at the table in, that Jesus would establish his rule and reign there and now, defeating the Romans and establishing uh, back into authority the, the Jewish people. That was her hope, and all of that had died at the cross. Her hope, her friend, her savior. Death stole that from her. Maybe you've been there, right? Maybe actually death stole someone from you that was deeply precious to you. Maybe it was some other loss, a, a divorce or an estrangement or, or uh, someone who, who deserted a friendship for no reason. Maybe it's a smaller loss, but still deeply impacting in your life, the loss of a job. Uh, the loss of uh, income. But it permeates every part of you, that, that loss. That's where Mary was. Lost, broken, pain and suffering and loss and grief were hers 
on that day. And comfort was about to burst into her life. But she only knew the current chapter of the story she was living in. Right? We know the end of the story. Right? She didn't. So there, as she waited in her pain and in her grief, not only, as verse 11 shows us, was there weeping of today, but there was also a blurred vision of today from Mary. It says, and she saw two angels in white. This is verses 12 and 13. Sitting where Jesus' body had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. As she stoops and looks into the tomb, she sees the supernatural, two angels. But the grief and the pain has blurred her vision to the point that she can't see the supernatural. Her vision is blurred by her pain, and all she can focus on is is fixing her current problem. Watch what she's doing. She's trying to control, right? And, and, and I'm not throwing shade on Mary. I'm the same way in my pain, in my grief, in my loss. She's trying to control what she can still control. She might not be able to bring Jesus back to life. Nobody can. That's impossible. It can't happen. In her mind. But she can control where she grieves and how she grieves and, and when she grieves. But now the body's gone. And she can't control that anymore. She can't even control how she's going to process her pain, let alone what's causing her pain. Have you been there, right? Where it seems like not only the thing that's causing you pain is out of control, but all the ways that you would even seek to manage the pain. You have no control over those things either. But yet she wants to fix it. She wants to find the body. Her hope, by the way, is to find Jesus' dead body. That's the pinnacle of her hope. But Jesus has something better for her. She wants to control her grief and some way, find a way to manage it, but Jesus has something better. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And again, I've heard enough sermons where Mary gets thrown under the bus here. But I'm here to tell you with 100% certainty that you wouldn't have recognized him either. I wouldn't have recognized him either. I said something similar two weeks ago. We talked about it this week. Sarah's mama, one of the dearest ladies I've ever met in my entire life. One of the first people to really welcome me into the, into the family. We put her in the ground a few years ago. My daughter was fresh back from Uganda. I'll never forget she took Papa's hand and they walked up there for one last look at the, at the body. And we wept and we mourned. Papa's gone now too. And Say we're on our way to the beach. They used to like to stop at K&W Cafeteria. Great place to get COVID if you're interested. <laughs> And if we were there and, and we were getting our food together and we looked across the room and we saw Mama and Papa, we wouldn't say there's Mama and Papa. We'd say there's someone who looks just like Mama and Papa. Can you believe how much they look like Mama and Papa? Why? Because they're not coming back. That's where Mary was. Jesus 
isn't coming back. She's not going to see him again. And so she doesn't recognize him. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Don't miss this either because it matters. How do you hear the voice of Jesus when he speaks to Mary? Is it scorn? (laughs) Are you you serious? It's me. I'm right here in front of you, Mary, knucklehead. Right? Do you see me? No. It's not scorn. And his voice, is it indifference? Oh, come on. Stop, Mary, stop. It's like you. You're going to smear your makeup, Mary. Don't don't cry so much. Is it... uh, Is it scolding? Mary, if you would listen to me, I said I would raise from the dead in three days, but I knew you weren't paying attention. And that's why you're crying right now, because you're not listening. No. Here's the heart of Jesus. Isaiah 42, 1 through 3. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. How do I know that's about Jesus? Matthew 12, 15 through 21. Jesus, aware of this, that the Pharisees were out to get him, withdrew from there and many followed him and he healed them all and ordered them not to make him known. Why? That he might fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Same words. He says that, you know, basically don't tell everybody that I've healed you because this isn't a political campaign. This isn't a marketing campaign. I'm not going out in the streets and holding a big parade. I'm here to move towards the broken and the hurting and the weak. And a bruised reed, he will not break. Smoldering wick, he will not snuff out. That is the tenderness of Jesus. And as he moves towards Mary, he comforts her in her grief. You think of a parent, right? A parent might say, you know, either when their child's crying, what are you crying about, right? I've done that. Or, what's wrong? What's going on? In my better moments as a father, that's how I approach my children. What's going on? He comes to her with that. This is a word for those of you today who are in pain and and darkness and suffering. Be comforted. But it's also instructive for those of us who get to walk alongside others who are grieving. For those of us who are with others as they're in pain... Hear this today, love is never more important than truth, but truth is never more important than love. Hear me say this, those two must be together, okay? When you come to someone who is grieving, will they need you to be precise at some point in their their grieving process, right, with the truth about God? Yes. But right now, they probably just need you to be present. They probably need you right there with them. Will they need you to help pick them up and walk forward with them, encouraging them to go on in and, and Christ-likeness and, and becoming like Jesus and just move on forward in their life? Yes, that time will come, but, but sometimes you just need to sit. You move towards those who are hurting with tenderness and kindness. Listening is sometimes more important than fixing. Patience is sometimes more important than passion. 
gentleness is sometimes more important than assertiveness. Again, I'm not saying one matters more than the other. What I'm saying is there's a right time for each of them. When I first got married, I was passionate, assertive, and my wife would encounter struggles along the way, and I would come to her as a preacher, as a cheerleader. We can do this. Uh, This is what the Bible says. This is why your pain uh, is irrelevant, because of this, this, and this. It didn't go well. Get used to sleeping on the couch. Why? Because she needed me to enter into her suffering with her. Am I good at that now? No. Am I better by God's grace than I used to be? Yes. But may we be tender. He says, why are you weeping? And then he gives her an invitation to think deep, more deeply. Whom do you seek? What kind of Messiah were you hoping for, Mary? Who are you looking for? Are you looking for your friend? Or are you looking for Jesus who raises the dead? Not in a harsh way, but in a, in a in, think about it, Mary. Who is it that you're looking for? It's Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, more powerful than death. She answers his questions. Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Sometimes in our grief, our, our vision is blurry, but that's okay. Jesus clears up blurry vision. And watch this again because it's counterintuitive. See, Jesus knows the right posture, the right tone, the right approach to take with every single person. When he meets the doubters on the road to Emmaus, he gives them a sermon. That's what they needed. He points them to the Old Testament. He shows them Jesus, the promise of his uh, death and burial and resurrection, and then he reveals himself to them. But that's not what what Mary needed, so he doesn't start quoting scripture with Mary. He doesn't break out the apologetics. Here's ten reasons why we can believe that the resurrection is true. Mary, I've written it in this little pamphlet. Go read this, and then come back, and I'll pop out again, and we'll see if you recognize me. No. Again, there's a place for proclaiming the scriptures 100%. We're doing it right now. You have to have it. But that's not every time. There's a place for apologetics and, and all of that, but this wasn't the place for that. He, listen, he doesn't even get Dolly Parton and her choir to roll out and start singing He's Alive, right? There's always a time and place for that. That's, that's good stuff. That's the way I would have gone. So get Dolly. We need her for this. Mary's got blurry vision. Dolly will fix that now. No. Mary needs to hear her name. A bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not stuff out, snuff out. And, and this made me weep all week, and I'm going to hold it together today. I don't know all the pain in this room, but I know enough. I know about the hurting. I know my own pain. I know about the loss, the deaths, the separations, the estrangements, the betrayals that have touched many of your lives. And I know how ridiculous in the midst of that pain it can sound for somebody to say, if you just recognize the real resurrected presence of Jesus, it will change everything for you. And you say, you don't know my pain. You don't know my hurt. You don't know my wounds. 
And you're right. I know. But that doesn't change the fact that it's true. That the resurrected presence of Jesus changes everything. And another reason I wept this week is because I can't even make myself believe it, let alone make you believe it. Especially if you're in the midst of that pain right now. And so I wept because I was begging God to do what Jesus did for Mary. Because he's the only one that can make you see it. He's the only one who can make you know it. And Jesus said to her, Mary. Listen, nobody had ever said her name like Jesus. There was power in that voice, power enough to cast out seven demons. And there was love in that voice. And in the midst of her pain, her grief, her loss, that voice speaking her name was all it took. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Now, you don't have to be a great detective to know what happens next, because by the time you get to verse 17, you'll see exactly where she is. She falls on her face, she grabs hold of her feet, and she holds on to him as comfort just saturates her. Jesus is alive. He knows her name, and he is with her. And Jesus was everything that she needed. But let's be honest, right? Because some of us are, are a little bit more pessimistic, maybe a little bit more jaded. I'm among them. I read that, and I think to myself, maybe what some of y'all think. <laughs> three days. I'd love to only have my pain be for three days. That'd be awesome. I could do three days, Mary, three days. Come on, Mary. Think back to a man named Jacob, way back in the Old Testament. Now, he played favoritism, which wasn't a good idea, but the son he played favoritism to was Joseph. Remember he made him the rainbow jacket, right? And, you know, again, Dolly reference. She wasn't the first with the coat of many colors. Joseph had that because his dad loved him the most. So Jacob gives him the coat, and one day his brothers, who hated him, bring that coat to Joseph, and it's torn and ripped and covered in blood, and, and they say, uh, wild animals got your son, we're really, really sorry. And what you'll learn if you read that account was that a large part of Jacob died that day. And 20 plus years go by with no answer. 20 and one day, the boys are searching for food in the middle of a famine. And they find themselves in Egypt. And there's a man in charge of everything. And the story plays out. There they go, and they come, and they go back again. And, and there's this scene where they're there in the room with Joseph, and they don't recognize him. How could it possibly be Joseph, right? How could it be him? And he knows who they are, but they don't know who he is. And just like Jesus with Mary, he has them wait. He doesn't reveal himself. At one point, he even has to slip off into the other room, remember? And he himself weeps. Just like Jesus would weep over his people because they don't recognize him. They don't see him. And he's begging God, right? Like, a, like weeping before God. Oh, that these people would know my power. Know who I am. And then Joseph reveals himself. 
And 20 plus years later, the word finally gets back to Jacob. Joseph is alive. I say that because not everybody's grief only lasts three days. Some people's grief lasts for 20 years or more. But what I want you to know today is that the resurrection of Jesus means that Jesus is present with you today, even in your deepest pain, and even if you don't see him today, at the right time, you will. That's not a great promise in the sense of like, for today, if you're in your pain and you don't see what Jesus is doing and you just have to sit in it for a little longer and you don't know how long, but it's a true promise. It was good enough for Jacob. It's good enough for Mary. I wish I could make it be today for you if you're in pain and grief, but I can't. But God's ways are higher. Verse 17, Jesus said to her, don't cling to me. For I have not yet ascended to the Father. He's preparing her for his departure. She's going to learn, though, that he'll stay with her. Not physically, but he will be with her. And the Holy Spirit will come and, and be with her. There's a promise of, of comfort in that as well. But listen, and this is interesting to me, what he does next. He says, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. It's interesting how the resurrection of Jesus hits, hits those who are dearest to him. Thomas, remember Thomas? Doubting Thomas, he even gets a nickname out of it. When Jesus died, it, it threw him into doubt. And even when he heard that Jesus was alive, he didn't believe it. He says, only if I uh, see the nail prints in his hands and feel his side. When Jesus comes to him, his doubt is transformed into faith. The disciples in general were afraid. Remember, they're all holed up in that upper room, just kind of scared out of their minds. And all of a sudden, Jesus appears in the room. And, and when he does, their fear turns to, to boldness. And for Mary, of course, her sorrow turns to joy. But he takes them all to the exact same place. He meets them where they are. He engages their suffering, their doubts, their pain, their fears. But the end is always the mission. The mission of God. And so having gone through their pain and doubt with them, he calls them on mission. Go and tell. Tell what? Tell the story. It's your story now, Mary. My father is now your father. My God is your God. Tell that story. It's your story. Go and tell Tell folks that Jesus is alive and Jesus brings dead things back to life. Tell the story. The resurrection can be your resurrection. And so she goes, and Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And that he had said these things to her. Good, good evangelism uh, outline there, by the way. Don't overcomplicate it. If you feel called to share Jesus with the people around you, you ain't got to turn it into some big thing. Just tell them the story. Jesus is alive and he brings dead things back to life and I'm one of them. He came into my pain by the tomb and he spoke comfort and healing to me. He's alive. Share the story. That's what he calls her 
to do, and she does it. Jesus is alive, and his father can be your father. Because if Jesus calls you his sibling, then you belong to the king. Here's a word today if you're, if you're not a Christian. But to all who did receive him, John 1.12, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now there was a price to make that possible, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 through 12. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. This is a reference back to, to the Old Testament days when the, the priest would offer sacrifices every single day, sometimes seven, eight, even 20 times a day just for the people, let alone all the sacrifices that people would make there in the courtyard, uh, and on and on and on. There was no rest for them. Always offering sacrifices again and again and again. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for him, he did what? He sat down. At the right hand of God. Why? Because the work was finished. He finished it himself. He, Jesus, went to the cross, perfect, no sin in him. And on that cross, God, the Father, poured out all of his righteous wrath against sin on Jesus. Isaiah, the prophecy in Isaiah 53 says, It was the will of the Lord to crush him, not forever, but in that moment as a punishment for our sins. And there he died in our place, so that we could be made right with God. And today, because of that finished work of Jesus on the cross, as many as receive him, if you take that free gift of that atonement through faith, you can become part of God's family. Trust Jesus today. And lastly, children of God, first, you don't have to ignore your pain or, or hide your pain. Uh, Jesus says, come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Matthew chapter 11. Jesus invites you to bring your pain, to bring your brokenness, to bring your suffering and your grief to him. You don't have to clean it up before you get to Jesus and, and Jesus' hope for the church is that we, Galatians 6, 2, will bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now, church doesn't always feel that way. It might take you a minute to warm up. But it is my prayer and my hope that at Mercy Village Church, we will be marked by that, that people don't have to hide their pain, that people don't have to hide their suffering, that people don't have to hide their brokenness, but we can come together and carry those things together on mission, following after Jesus. Number, so number one, you don't have to ignore your pain, but number two, you don't have to control the situations surrounding your pain either. Jesus has better plans for you than you have for yourself, even if you can't see it. This quote by John Piper, God is always doing 10,000 things in your life, and you may be aware of three of them. If that, sometimes you may be aware of zero of them, you don't have to fight to control the situations and circumstances surrounding your pain. Jesus' plans are better. And Jesus is with you in your pain, making all things new. John the Evangelist, who wrote the book of John that we were just in, also writes Revelation. And John, he tells us what has happened. In Revelation, he tells us what will happen. And there's a scene where Jesus is seated on the throne, and he says, he quotes him. Jesus says, Behold, I'm making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. 
Three days for Mary. 20 years for Jacob. I don't know. I don't know how far you are in your pain. But Jesus is making all things new. And so his resurrection is your resurrection if you're a child of God. And it's, it's your resurrection today. It's not just for your past. It's not just for your future as we'll see next week. It is for today. The resurrection of Jesus means that Jesus is present with you now, even in your deepest pain. And even if you don't see him today, at the right time, he will. Father, place that into your people's hearts. I can't. I'm a messenger, and I'm an inadequate one. I'm a frail one. I'm a, a broken one. But the Holy Spirit is here. You've promised that, and so I pray that that in his faithful work, that the people of God today will see and know that you are with them now. I pray for brothers, I didn't even talk about this, but brothers and sisters in Christ here today who have been through seasons of pain and now on the other side of it can see that you were present with them will be quick to share those stories with other brothers and sisters in Christ who may be struggling to see it. Testifying to the truth that you're with us in our pain. So teach your people, teach me today the truth and make it real to us by your grace. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you haven't already, we would love for you to join the work of God as Jesus builds Mercy Village Church. You can learn more at our website at www.mercyvillage.church.